Pulse Audio Podcast Network. What's that knocking, knocking at my door? Is it the Raven? No, it's us. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime besties talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of, question mark, while drinking a ton of wine. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And that was way too peppy of an intro for the way we are dressed right now. We're dark and we're sullen and the world has no meaning. <laughs> Did you ever listen to that like song when you were a teenager? And I was like, I'm an emo kid. Nonconforming as can be. You'd be nonconforming too if you look just like me. I have ne- What? Yeah. Oh my God. It's called the emo kid song. I love it. Okay. So the, this isn't going to be relevant until like next week. But this is your warning. We are going full goth for our next Patreon video. So for as little find in my closet. For as little as one dollar a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus content, including video episodes, and we do dress up themes. We've done, you know, feminist and fancy. We've done fifties. You know, and if you have an idea for a theme, let us know. Yeah, please do. Uh, So it is the month of my birthday. So I decided to pick the theme and I tapped into my little high school goth heart. Uh, Speaking of hearts, I did try to change the theme to Valentine's Day, but Target already has St. Patrick's Day and like Easter shit out. There's only candy. There's no of like the little heart bobble headbands or necklaces or anything they don't have they I almost bought us t-shirts but they didn't have any and I'm like guys it is two days before Valentine's Day stop it (laughs) I am early you can't tell me I'm not I am by definition early (laughs) it is technically before Valentine's Day therefore I am early ah but yeah, so we're 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 having fun with it. And we are keep on keeping on with celebrating Black History Month with some amazing women. But before we dive into that, Kelly, you want to tell us a little bit about our wine? Which actually has kind of a, a goth name. Like I can see that being someone's edgy aim name back in the the, the mid-aughts. <laughs> so today we're drinking Whispering Angel from, oh geez, Caves de Esclan Sachet Linchine. It's a rose, a 2019 rose. That's all you need to know. <laughs> um, it says, in the Esclan's Valley, angel whis- angels whisper. If you drink this wine, you might hear them. If by chance you visit us, you might see them. Sacha Alexis Lichine, which I'm assuming is the owner of the vineyard. Yeah, I that that's kind of spooky. Like, I don't know if hearing angels would be a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I angels scare me a little bit. I don't know. They're like, they, they, yeah, they like, fall. Is it like the wrathful angel or is it like yeah. St. Michael? Yeah. It, I mean, they kind of fall in the same category as ghosts. Like, okay, like some spirity whatnot, but is it going to fuck me up? Right. So if we start hearing voices, we know it's just the angels. Just and we the definitely angels. don't have to go and get that checked out. It's fine. All right, Kelly, what are we cheersing to? Um, Ooh, I have a suggestion if you don't have something. Go for it. Your bitchin' tattoo artist. Yes. Rachel. Rachel. Who listens to the podcast yeah, now. Yeah, great? Yeah, so Kelly, like in goth fashion, goth edgy emo, whatever you want to call it, fashion, got a bitchin' tattoo today. Not a very goth one. but It's it, it purple. Is Purple is goth. <laughs> I don't know. You already have like the angel and devil wings on your back. Yeah, that's true. You're entitled to this. I already covered that. To my tattoo? Well, to Rachel. To Rachel. Cheers. Oh, oh shit. Did you just break my wine glass? I didn't break it, but I like clinked it oh, too enthusiastically. So, so Kelly and I, usually we turn the tea table lengthwise and sit across from each other i call it the tea table it's like the war room this is our tea table where we gather to talk about women while drinking wine which i now call tea but we usually sit you know across from each other the short way but because we're doing a video after this instead of moving the table we just decided to sit the long way so now to clink glasses it takes considerable effort yes Ooh. It's mellow. It's kind of tart, but it's mellow. I like it. 
Like, I don't think it's it's going to be a wine that I'm going to gravitate back to because it's just not kind of my style, but it's good. Yeah, you're into the cab subs. I am. I actually, I got my new box from Naked Wines, which Kelly so lovingly helped me drag into her house because it's a big fucking box. Yeah. And uh, in that box is the same wine that got me really into Cab Soft, so I'm very excited to crack. I almost kept it for myself. <laughs> I almost kept it in my house. But I'm like, no, I need to share this with people. You all need me. to know. Just me. Yeah, just I mean, just Kelly. And everyone can hear about it and be jealous because we're enjoying it. So I do have to say their name. It's going to come a few weeks late. Better late than never. Because uh, it has to do with the Super Bowl, and that was last weekend. Mm. So my say their name is Sarah Thomas, who was the first woman in NFL history to officiate a Super Bowl. So she was one of the refs. I saw that. That was really cool. I didn't do a bunch of looking, but I, I saw it. It was cool. Someone actually brought it up to me. And this is a quote from her that I absolutely love. She said, being the first female means a lot to me. I have a precious little girl that is watching her mom, not just on the football field, but daily at home. And I want her to know, seeing it, believing it, you can do it. It's just so meaningful. I never set out to be the first in any of this. I'm truly honored and humbled to be a part of this year's Super Bowl crew. Like, and so I, I like that she's just like, you know, I didn't set out, like, I just do what I love. Yeah. So, yeah. Sarah Thomas, you're awesome. We talk about that a lot. Uh, there are women, they're not trying to be the first. They just happen to be. And it's, they recognize the importance of that. But right. they're like, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. And I, I love that. Right. You go, Sarah. Yeah. Break those gender norms. You know what else I think is interesting about that is like you, you kind of think about how every event in history ripples out and we don't always see the immediate benefits from positive change. So like Title IX made it so that boys and girls need equal access to athletics. Yep. Because before it was like, no, you're a girl. You don't get to play. And oh, God, what was that? Was that the 70s? I think it was the 70s that yeah. Title IX uh, became a thing. But we're seeing more women in sports, the sporting world, like like not just playing sports, but like officiating. We will have a big episode about this coming out. Yes. You know, they're on TV. They're talking about commentary, like uh, writing about it, training, coaching, all this stuff. And it's it doesn't happen immediately. But we do start to reap the benefits from positive change. And it's cool to just see another sign of that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, you ready? I am ready. Who are you whining about today? I am whining about Lena Richard. Lena Richard. Lena I like, Richard. I like the name Lena. I do too. Originally Lena Paul, but when she got married, it's Lena Richard. Please tell me she married Oli. I don't think so. If, if So for anyone who's not Minnesotan, we have what we call Oli and Lena jokes. Which, and it's kind of like the traditional- They're an old married Norwegian couple. Yeah, yeah. So- if you actually, just, they might be Swedish. I don't remember. Well, Scandinavian, Scandinavian. Uh, but yeah, they're like the kind of stereotypical elderly Minnesota married couple, and there are tons of like jokes and stories and stuff about them. And so, definitely look them up. It's funny. Also, that is what I call the deer in my neighborhood. I call them Ollies and Linas. It's also why I named my lawn flamingos when yep. I used to have those. <laughs> I named them Ollie and Lena. And then you left them with me. Are they in, still in your in garage? Or in the garage or something. I thought I took them. I must not have because I moved into an apartment. What the fuck was I going to yeah, do exactly. with them? So Lena was born uh, September 11th, 1892. Ooh. Oh, that is the year that Lizzie Borden murdered her parents, yeah, like a month later. You're a weirdo. That's how I ground myself in history. You're weird. The 40s are the 40s are World War II and 19 or 1892 is Lizzie Borden's time. <laughs> anyway, so she was born in New Rhodes, Louisiana. She was born to Francois Laurent and Jean-Pierre Paul. That's her mom and dad. She was baptized Marie Arena Paul, which Arena is a such such a pretty name. I might mm -hmm. even be pronouncing that wrong. It's A-U-R-I-N-A. -I, I would say Arena. Arena. Yep. I bet they say it nicer and like Probably. I'm imagining them having kind of that like French Southern Creole girl, accent, yep. like and I bet it's just like dripping with class. Right. Oh. 
So she was one of six children and in an early age, the family moved to New Orleans and her mother and aunt worked as domestic servants. And then as Lena got older, she began helping her mother as a domestic servant. She would often, you know, cook after school with her mother and her aunt because she was one of the elder children. You know, she did a lot of the the homemaking Um, She did graduate from school and would go on to be officially hired by the same family that hired her mom, which is nice. And they would actually later send her to cooking school. Oh! So they sent her to the cooking school in New Orleans and then on to the Fanny Farmer Cooking School in Boston, which is like a more famous cooking school. I mean, if you think about it, that's smart because, you know, okay... We have this young girl who we expect to work for us for a very long time, just like the old other right. wi- women in her family. We want her to be able to make the most bitchin' quiche. Right. Her shrimp and crawdads and whatever else they eat in Louisiana needs to be perfection. Top tier. Top tier. So, like I said, they, they, which I think is awesome, sent her to culinary school. She graduated from culinary school in 1918. And returned to New Orleans. She still worked for them on and off, but at the same time, she also began a catering business. Lena, you enterprising doll, you. Right. She would also go on to marry Percival Richard. So is Percival. Sorry. I'm going to call him Oli. I don't care. Um, they would have one daughter named Maria, um, who would actually go on to graduate from Xavier University with a degree in home economics. So she kind of follows her mom. Oh, that's cool. So during the next two decades after she graduated, she started multiple businesses and also worked as a cook in a New Orleans club. Or oh, sorry, in the New Orleans club. Apparently the place was oh. actually called, well, it's called the Orleans Club, which is an elite organization specifically for white women. So it's like, I just envision a fancy like Victorian tea party. Yeah, only white it's women. a bunch of hoity-toity white aristocrats who are going around being like, we're so much better than everyone oh, else, especially so. people of color. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so in 1937, Richard and her daughter, or sorry, Lena and her daughter Marie, Richard, that's their last name. I always usually change my notes, but like sometimes if I'm really into it, then I like do it how they say it and like our sources, but mm-hmm. I try not to because I'm it makes me sad. So they started a cooking school together. So a mother-daughter cooking school, which I think is great. I would watch that show. A historian wrote, quote, Richard's school, see? Even the historians say it. Well, they, they 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 do that, and I understand why they do it, but we like to use first names because I don't like we admire these women so much and we feel connected to them. I'm like, no, we're on a first name basis now. I'm saying it. We're right. we're besties. Exactly. <laughs> so, so this is a quote that they said about their school. So Richard's school targeted young black men and women. She sought to train them in the culinary sciences so as to give them a chance to make a career for themselves in a city that historically disenfranchised African-Americans. This reminds me of Viola Desmond, who I covered. And then you covered Madam C.J. Walker, mm-hmm. who were both... Uh, I keep wanting to say beauty queens, but that is not why I'm trying to communicate. Beauticians. Beautician queens. (laughs) But they taught other women of color how to get in the business so that they could be financially independent and like spread the wealth. And that's exactly what she's doing, but with cooking. That's amazing. So she would then go on after she opened this culinary school to write a book two years later. Originally, it was published as Lena Richards Cookbook, which is a respectable name you know what she's getting straight to the point no bullshit right like you know who this wrote is it who i am you know what it is this is what it is read it <laughs> the next year it was published or republished or reissued however they say it in the industry I'm in the industry right. <laughs> so it was republished by houghton mifflin which must be a publisher at that time i guess it could still be a publisher i probably wouldn't they know were slash are the biggest fucking deal i don't know you know we get to make stuff up when we don't know <laughs> right that's what we do that's like half we are podcast. writing history right now so when they reissued the book they called it the new orleans cookbook so now apparently she's cooking for all of new orleans i mean i get it like i i would buy the new orleans cookbook right, exactly. because i'd be like oh this is all of the like regional dishes i'm a little sad that they took her name out of the title but i also right. understand like from a marketing standpoint that's probably smarter as long as they said in big print 
by Lena Richards. No, that's what I was about to say. What? Because although Lena's, the original, because she self-published it, had like an image of her on it and stuff, uh, the reissue did not. It essentially erased any connection to the fact that she was black. Who the fuck... Who do they think wrote it then? Are they just like, oh, there's a New Orleans cookbook. I wonder who wrote this. Literally no one. This just magically well, and, appeared. And maybe it still had her name on it. It was but the it, whispering angels. You just don't have, you know, like a picture or like a reference of who the person is. That's bullshit. Right. Like even when you publish your own shit, it's like, oh, we're going to erase who you are. So even though that other company re- reissued her book, Lena still went on tour of the Northeast to present her, you know, her version of the book, essentially. While she was up there, she was actually recruited by the head chef at a place called the Bird and Bottle Inn, which is fantastic. The Bird and Bottle Inn? I yeah. would go there. It's in New York. I don't know if it still exists. Oh, I hope it is. And I hope it's affordable. Um, so they recruited her, but she, I, it, I never really said if she turned, like, what happened or if she stayed there for a little bit of time all i know is that within a year she returned to new orleans and opened up her own restaurant she called it lena's eatery can i just say i am getting strong tiana vibes right from this girl like princess and the frog except they don't turn her into a frog for 90 percent of the story they do erase her from her own fucking cookbook yeah, though right that's the metaphor. <laughs> that is what the frog meant to be. That's funny. <laughs> this is society erasing you as a person and a person of color. Yeah, it's terrible. So um, Lena must have gotten bored or something with her eatery because a few years later, she started a frozen food business. She would create fully cooked packaged dinners and then freeze them. So basically, she like was making homemade TV dinners. Oh my god. Yep, and she She invented would... the frozen dinners. Right. My favorite part of my childhood. Do you remember kid cuisine? Those things were great. Oh my god. My mom always was like, you have to save the brownie for last. I'm like, but it's right there and it's so delicious. <laughs> I love you. So the this ended up being a company called the Bordelon Fine Foods Company, and they were shipping anywhere in the United States because they were frozen, which is nice. That's awesome. She must have also gotten bored of that because she went on to open another restaurant. Damn, girl. This time it was called The Gumbo House, which I love. Oh, my God. And it was one of the only black-owned fine dining establishments in the city at the time. I love that it's called The Gumbo House, but it's fine dining. I was just going to say, if, I, if you told me The Gumbo Gumbo House was a thing and then told me to describe it, I would not guess fine dining. But I would here's guess the thing. like Bubba Gump shrimp style. I was literally thinking that at the Mall of America up in, uh, it's not Minneapolis, but it's basically Minneapolis. Come at me, Minneapolis. They have Bubba Gumps and they have the suit that Forrest yep. wore. Forrest Gump wore in the movie and it's like under glass and everything. Yeah, it's crazy. And I've never actually eaten there though. I haven't I've, either because I don't like seafood. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always wanted to, but there's a place up there. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a, a ramen place. Me, it's not miso. Whatever it is. It's so fucking good. And so every time I'm up there, I'm like, I could try something different or I could just eat my weight in ramen and sushi for the billionth time. Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> like that is the best. Thing. I will. I'll, I'll take you there because it's it's really good. And every time I've been there, it's been pretty chill. Like usually the Mall of America is a fucking madhouse. Yeah, it is. But I think it's kind of like an underappreciated gem. And hopefully that doesn't mean it closes because I will take it very poorly. You're funny. Just tune in for the episode where I'm crying the whole time and you'll know what happened. (laughs) So I said, so in 1949, that's when she opened the gumbo house. But she, she just, she took a step up in the world after that. Not that any of that was a small thing. I was going to say she's already like living the dream. But starting in 1949, Lena got to host a 30 minute cooking show on television called Lena Richards' New Orleans Cookbook. The show aired twice weekly and was broadcast on New Orleans' first television station, the WDSU. During the program, Lena and her assistant, Marie Matthews, who was also a black woman, guided their television audience through recipes from Lena's book. They were they were the first African Americans to host a cooking show in an age when few households even owned televisions. 
That is wild. Right? And I love she got her name back. Right? They're like, <laughs> and they bitches. put it up front. That is incredible. Right? Oh my God. So this program obviously welcomed a racially mixed audience, obviously. However, the majority of people that were watching were white, middle class, and upper class women, because that's who could afford television. Exactly. And what was kind of cool about this is it was them learning how to cook in the traditional, like, Creole style. I was going to say, because when I think New Orleans, I think traditional New Orleans, I do think, yeah, like the Creole and the black culture there. And I think about black women kind of taking their heritage and what they grew up with and sharing that with other people and how that would add authenticity. Right. But I I don't know if they cared about that in 1939, but I was like, no, you're getting this like from the horse's mouth, you guys. This is legit shit. Yeah. uh, Lena's daughter, Merit. Mary, or Marie, sorry, would say, quote, her reputation was very fine. Everybody used to call her Mama Lena. Mama Lena. I know, isn't that amazing? Oh, my God. I want a home-cooked meal from Mama Lena. So she was essentially the Martha Stewart of New Orleans. I would say she's like the Julia Child. Because she was a trained chef, an acclaimed cookbook author. She was a restaurateur. She had a catering business. She had a frozen food empire. Um, and now she was a TV host, and she ran a cooking school. She's doing all the things. Right? Good God, Lena. Who's got the time? Right? And you have to remember, this is in the heart of the Jim Crow South. Yeah. The, what you said the show was on in 1939. Yeah. Lynchings and, and are New going Orleans. hard. Yeah. In the South, lynchings are going hard. Right? But what was like, so what was cool about this is she just was breaking down all of these barriers, not only racially, but economically for women, like just all of these different things. And it just kind of culminated in this huge thing. But and then she was forgotten. And it's it's really Why? sad. The, the whole time you're telling me this, I keep thinking of Julia Childs because she's like the TV cooking personality I think of immediately. Right. Although it's like, here's the thing. No shade on Julia Childs. She lived a wild life. But it sounds like Lena, like, much earlier got into the cooking and building her, like, food-based empire. Like, I'm over here making a house out of my mashed potatoes, and she's literally making bank out of food. Exactly. So, like, how did we forget her? I know. It's really sad. I understand, you know, a lot of people don't have fandoms for tv shows from 1939 in the 1940s but still yeah it's sad though like that's just all of it's forgotten however ruth zatarain not even joking like not zatarain rice but oh like, i was <laughs> but she was a she's a lo- she was a local resident of new orleans and someone who actually watched lena's cooking show she was a big fan and she she says that she remembers taking out a pen and pencil in case she picked up new recipes. And quote, she cooked the kind of food that New or- Orleans. New you- Orleans. I know. Nolians. Anyways, <laughs> um, that we're used to eating. Not restaurant food, not all the fancy food. And when she was talking to you, it was like you were talking to her in her kitchen. I love that. The reason we may not have heard of her is the show only lasted a year. Oh, when Lena died unexpectedly. Shut up! No! She was only 58. Kelly, that's my thing. I know. To randomly, like, <laughs> okay, she's ramping up and now she's dead. Go away, she's dead. She's like, dead, we're done. That's my thing. You don't get to take that from me. But damn. God, a la Alice Ball, like, oh, she's creating this incredible vaccine to help leprosy and then she died. <laughs> I know, right? God. Um, that sucks. And I wasn't really able to find how she died. It's just like, yep, she died suddenly. Too many ghosts in her blood. So that's that's obviously very, very unfortunate. But I mean, what a blazing trail she left behind her. Like, she opened Creole cuisine to a whole new breed of people. Particularly us white people. (laughs) Um, She was a huge inspiration for African-American cooks, writers that wanted to write books, people that wanted to be entrepreneurs. Like, she literally had her hand in a whole bunch of different things. Um, She's hailed as the queen of Creole cuisine and is one of the inspirations behind Princess and the Frog. Oh, shut 
Yep. I feel, okay, I felt really stupid saying that earlier. I was like, everyone thinks I'm dumb and they hate me. And now I feel so much better. Because she's getting at it every day. So Jessica B. Harris, who's a food historian, which sounds like a wonderful job. There has to be a historian for every facet of life. Like there's a bra historian. There's a panty historian. There's something that's not lingerie historian. She She authored a book called High on the Hog, A Culinary Journey from Africa to America. And she says about Lena, quote, she stepped out onto the water when there was no guarantee it would hold her up. I love that. Like, And she did it to further her own community and like show people that you know we're just like you and we can do all these amazing amazing things too the same historian i mentioned earlier said quote lena richard defined those damaging defied those damaging stereotypes of black working women at the time to show what so many people in new orleans african-american community already knew that african-american women women are capable smart ambitious and facing so many barriers but those barriers can be overcome slow claps fucking mic drop right there right so that historian that i've now quoted twice is <laughs> i just had to say it I like love that how i don't you know said why. it twice twice that's is, how we're gonna um, say that now is wrote her name's rose ashley rose young so she is one of the curators at the smithsonian national museum Oh, my God. And the reason I bring that up is because in 2020, to mark the centennial celebration of women's suffrage, the Smithsonian Museum highlighted Lena along with other women in one, their new podcast called the Side Door Podcast. I've never listened to it, but I'll just oh. say that the Smithsonian has a podcast, apparently. That's amazing. But the main thing is they they also opened their, or at the time the article that I read is, is we're opening, so I guess I don't know if it opened amid COVID, but there was supposed to be an American Enterprise exhibit called The Only One in the Room, which features seven women entrepreneurs and businesswomen who broke barriers and found themselves at the helm of their respective industries, including Lena. She's one of the seven. I love that. All I can think of is the song from Hamilton. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. Because it's all about Aaron Burr wanting to make decisions about the country, and then he shoots some guy, so. Yeah sucks <laughs> well, he shouldn't have shot some guy yeah man duels were so stupid like what a brilliant display of toxic masculinity you have insulted my honor so i must shoot you now like what it makes sense right <sighs> men dudes come on you you are better than this don't let anyone tell you different you are better all right let's get into your depression emily all right uh, first of all, can you hand me the wine? <laughs> I need more wine. Don't drop it. Don't drop the wine. I shot the sheriff, but I did not drop the wine. Yeah, because then the sheriff would have shot you. <laughs> That's why I shot the sheriff. He dropped the wine. Yeah, right. You bitch. <laughs> How dare you? So before I begin, I want to give everyone a big, fat content warning. In my story, I discussed female genital mutilation. And while this is a very difficult topic to talk about and hear about, it's a serious human rights issue affecting millions of those with female genitalia, particularly those to this day, particularly those who are young and vulnerable. And we try to have a lot of fun on this podcast. And thank God Kelly had a really upbeat story until like she killed Lena off (laughs) until just like right in the middle of it. I blame you personally for that. Okay. But female genital mutilation is not something to make light of. And the woman I am covering is absolutely incredible and her story is so important. But I completely understand if you are not in the space to talk about this or hear about this today, if you're not comfortable with listening to this right now, we completely understand. And we will see you next time. We love you and have an empowered day. Rate us five stars wherever you listen. Patreon. Wapod. Facebook. Wapod. 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 All right, so today I'm talking about Jaha Dukure, and this is a living history legend. So she was born 1989 to forever. Forever? Forever, yes. ever? Forever, ever. So Jaha was born in 1989. I also found sources that say she was born in 1990, but according to her own goddamn Twitter, 
She was born in 1989, so I'm going to trust her to know when her own fucking birthday is, guys. Yeah, I think I think that's Because I was like, she was born way too recently for us to not know the year she was born. I couldn't find the day or the month, though, because she just had the year listed, which, like, I get it, Jaha. Keep that shit close to the chest, you know? I respect that. Privacy is a thing. So she was born in Banjul, Republic of the, Ga- the Gambia, uh, a country in West Africa. Fun fact... I had to look this up. It is actually called the Gambia rather than Gambia, which is what I always thought. So when they achieved their independence in 1964, they switched to being the Gambia. And apparently they didn't want to be confused, confused with Zambia, which has only a letter difference. I'm like, I don't think I've ever gotten them confused, but I don't think I know enough to get them confused. (laughs) I just know they're different because they have different names. So. Unfortunately, things are not all good in what's called the Smiling Coast of Africa. There are many human rights issues which the Gambia struggles with, but for its relevance of our story, we are going to focus on one. According to the World Health Organization, approximately 78.3% of girls and women ages 15 to 49 have been victims of female genital mutilation, or FGM for short. For the blissfully uninitiated, FGM involves the partial or total removal of external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons. And credit to the WHO for that definition. Like, I didn't write that. I'm taking this straight from them. And guys, seriously, this gets cringy. And while I was writing my notes, my legs have never been crossed tighter. But this is a really important issue that we should discuss. I didn't want to leave it out. But yeah, this is this is rough. It gets bad. So Jaha was one of these girls. When she was only a week old, she was subjected to type 3 FGM. Yes, there are different types of FGM, each one more horrific than the last. So type 1 is partial or total removal of the clitoral glands, which is the visible part of the clitoris. Uh, type 2 is the partial total removal of the clitoral glands and the labia minora, which are like the inner folds of mm-hmm. the vulva. So that's the parts on the outside. And actually, I'm I'm still trying to figure out my own anatomy. So this was also like kind of a refresher for me. Like, oh, these are all the parts that I have and what they're called. <laughs> Spoiler, the whole thing is not the vagina. That's literally just, just the, the whole. <laughs> Type 3, which Jaha was subjected to, involves narrowing the vaginal opening by covering it. This typically means stitching the labia minora or labia majora, uh, which is the big outer part, together to seal off the entrance to the vagina. This is also called infibulation. So they're basically closing it up so everything is closed off except Mm -hmm. for where you can pee. Type 4 is literally any other damage to female genitalia that isn't covered above, and this can include cauterization. And I want everyone to take a moment to take a deep breath and unclench your body. Can I vomit? You you are more than welcome to vomit. And I also want to point out really quick, you know, the, the types are not just different. They're like building on whatever is in the previous type. So if right, you're and type then there's three, just the other type that's like, if like you've done anything before, worse... Not only are you the worst person imaginable, but you just, you're just this type. Yes. So victims of FGM are often young when it is done to them. And it's not only culturally encouraged, but it is the norm. It is completely well, if it's normal. done when you're young, you probably don't realize that it's... Exactly. Either that it's wrong or that anything even happened until problems arise. We will literally get into that not understanding what happened. And it's really horrifying. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. Uh, it is very important to note that FGM can be lethal. You I'm can sure. die from this, unsurprisingly. So why would people do this to their children? Well, there are several reasons, all of which are complete and utter nonsense. I want to point out, none of these are facts. These are all myths that have been perpetuated from generation to generation. So super terrible bullet point list. FGM is linked to cultural ideals of femininity and modesty. The removal of, quote, unclean body parts makes them more beautiful. Stop. Some justify it through religion. Remove your penis then. (laughs) Right? I'm not even going to get into... Yeah, circumcision. Circumcision. Uh, Why? I 
cauterization is like the only C word in my head right now and I can't get it out. I'm not even going to get into circumcision because that's not what we're talking about today. But yeah, some justify this through religion. This includes includes Islamic and Christian religions. I want to point out, I looked this up. Certain sects of those religions, yeah. Neither the Bible nor the Quran talk about FGM at all. It's literally not in there at all. Yeah. So it's just, it's. (laughs) It, it's, it's sects of the religion yeah. that go to the extreme and interpret something that is not actually there. Well, and it, it just comes down to female oppression. Yeah, 100%. That's our, that is in those. So, FGM can be an attempt to curb sexual behavior in women, preserving their virginity, which is made up, Hard and ensuring their fidelity in marriage. In the case of type 3, the fear I'm in- sorry, you can't even consummate your marriage in type 3 and above. Yeah. We will literally get into that, too. It's truly horrifying. So in the case of type 3, which is what happened to Jaha, the fear and pain of removing the stitching along with the visible proof that's been removed can shame victims into not seeking help. Because it's like you're, you're marking yourself as like having gone against the cultural norm. Another reason is to improve male sexual pleasure. Let me just make point that out nowhere yeah, was nar- this meant with to- the narrowing oh. nowhere oh. was this meant to encourage female sexual pleasure excuse me why i go vomit so i literally long. don't know how it works though i literally can't understand how that would and then finally tradition perpetuation by community leaders and healthcare providers who are unfortunately a lot of times like untrained midwives who have also grown up with this being the norm. And the fact that everyone else is doing it is probably one of the most significant driving factors of the continuation of FGM. And here's the thing. We have a lot of respect for other people's cultures and their cultural identity. Not when it's abuse. Not when it's abuse of children. You can fuck right off with that. So FGM is committed across Africa, Southeast Asia, North America, and the Middle East, mostly. Those like kind of the most North popular America areas. Kind of shocks me. I I'll get into that. Like, I I went deep and I cried a lot. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> um. So according to Safe Hands for Girls, which spoiler Jaha founded that, Yay. three million girls are subjected to Ugh. FGM every year across Boo. the globe millions of girls a year that's disgusting so now that we have some context on what fgm is i didn't want any of that on how terrible it is let's get back to jaha so jaha grew up in a big family her father had three wives and she had lots of siblings like like um there's a documentary that i mentioned later and she goes back she's like i don't really know the names of some of the younger siblings especially because they're from you know the other wives who weren't her biological mother and like i and that's what you do she estimates she has 30 siblings like ballpark well and yeah if you're older at a certain point you're just like i i no longer care well and she spoiler she leaves the gambia so she's not like in constant yeah. contact with her family so her father is an imam, which is someone who leads the prayers in a mosque and he takes great pride in the fact that none of his daughters have become pregnant out of wedlock and i'm sure a lot of that is attributed to like well they went through fgm and that's why they didn't get pregnant out of wedlock because i did my job to preserve their virginity when jaha described her biological mother she said that she could tell she wasn't happy sharing her husband but polyamorous marriages are totally legal and pretty common in the gambia as they are a sign of prosperity if you can afford to keep multiple wives you must be doing fucking you must be doing pretty damn good and honestly like here's the thing so it's all it's more of like a status symbol than it is anything else Ugh, that's also kind of gross like polyamory totally valid 100 everyone needs to be consenting though and it doesn't sound like jaha's biological mother was super into it and that's yeah, it the was, problem it was probably uh I it's guess, just what you it's do probably i i have to i have to accept this because my husband is who he is he's someone that's important so to show that he has to have multiple wives and i just have to deal with it well and like i said it's legal and it's very common yeah. so it would be Pretty unlikely that anyone else she would marry would be she she wouldn't unless, have like, unless they were wives. poor. Yeah, you couldn't afford like multiple wives. So Jaha's mother felt education was super important. So Jaha and her sister 
became the first girls in the family to be enrolled in school, though it was not common for girls to receive an education in the Gambia. And actually, her father wasn't super jazzed about that. But the mother's like, if I got to share you, my daughters are getting an education. I'm drawing the line there. My foot is down. Yeah. Jaha's mother just sounds like a fucking badass. So when she was eight years old, Jaha was arranged to marry a much older man. And when she was 15 years old, after the death of her mother, she died of cancer. It was so sad. It's it's tragic because she was so close to her mother. Um, Jaha moved to New York City to become a child bride. This was also around the time. It's very interesting that she like moved out of the country to do it. The, that's where the guy was living. And mm-hmm. I don't know how legally that worked yeah. or what the laws are in New York. Because I know there are places where like you can totally marry off your 13-year-old daughter if the parents give the thumbs up. So who knows? Like I, I did yeah. look into it. Because even if it wasn't legal, that's the it's, situation. It's still what happened. She is his wife. This was also around the time that Jaha found out she had been subjected to FGM. She is 15 years old. She has no idea what has been done to her because well, she's what, did, grown like, up did like her, this. Did her like, dad tell her? Or So she lived her entire life as if this was normal. And it was actually when she tried to have sex with her husband that she began to understand what FGM meant because it made it very hard to consummate the marriage. And she's like... Why Why is this, like, not working? Oh, this happened to me? And it, it was traumatic. You're 15 years old. You're being married off to a much older man. And you find out that you have been mutilated? And, and it must have been such a shock. Like, she's been living with this her whole life thinking it's normal. And all of a sudden, it's like... It's like the curtain falls and you can see everything for what it is all of a sudden. Like how traumatizing for a 15-year-old girl. So according to Jaha, quote, when he tried to have sex with me, that's when I realized what female genital mutilation was. And that's when my horror started. The infibulation which Jaha had been subjected to understandably made it very difficult to consummate the marriage, and she underwent surgery to undo it. And Jaha said it was like going, quote, through the FGM all over again. So she's being re-traumatized. Yeah, because even if she doesn't remember the first time it happened, her body does. Yes, and now she does. She remembers getting it reversed to whatever extent they can. Unsurprisingly, the arranged marriage didn't work out and Jaha moved in with family to start her life over. And like, thank God she was able to do that. In ja- the, did she go back to the Gambia? Or she didn't. She stayed outs- in the United in, okay. States. Yep. So Jaha tried enrolling in high school, but was rejected from 10 schools before finally being accepted into one. She was rejected because she didn't have consent from a legal guardian. Because her mother is dead. Her father's back in the Gambia. And, and we know he's her. not... Yeah, I don't know if he disowned her, but he we already know he's not super into women receiving an yeah. education. Uh, so I, I don't know if they found a school that was just like willing to understand the situation or if she lied, but whatever. Or if, or she, if eventually the family she's living with was just like, fine, I'll fucking sign like, the papers. I'm her mom. I'm her dad. Like, here, you guys really good. Check. Fuck you. <laughs> so she did, she had to fight to get her education. This is just kind of one of those unique challenges that she had to face to overcome that. When well, she's older. Yeah, I mean, she's a teenager. Yeah, but she's still, like, if she, depending on what her level of education is at the time, like, Mm -hmm. she's probably going back a grade or two at least. Maybe, yeah. So when she was 17 years old, Jaha moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and remarried. And as far as I know, like, she's happy. So that's good. She continued her education at Georgia Southwestern State University, graduating in 2013 with a bachelor's degree in business administration management, which sounds like the degree you get if you want to make money after you graduate, unlike those creative writing majors, am I right? Fucking losers. (laughs) Here's the thing. You can make money in psychology. You just need to get your master's Yeah, I just have to spend more money to do it. (laughs) Yay. So that same year, she founded Safe Hands for Girls, a nonprofit which fights against FGM. Yeah. Yes. So Jaha has children with her second husband. And in the documentary, Jaha's Promise, she's seen playing with her daughter, uh, Khadija. And she says, quote, when Khadija was born, I knew that I could never let this happen to her. I knew I had to do something to stop it. And I, I didn't get through the whole documentary because I kept crying. 
sure. It was it was really hard to watch. I do intend to finish it, but it was like I I had to kind of move on with my day and my week and my life a little bit. But you see her like her little daughter playing in the yard and her playing with her daughter and I started crying because I was like this is never going to happen to that little girl. This is never going to happen because her mother is protecting her. And right? she's not just protecting her daughter, but she's trying she's to protect trying to everyone else's yeah, daughters. So... And it, it was just so beautiful. So Safe Hands for Girls' mission statement is to, quote, help end female genital mutilation, childhood and early forced marriage, which has its own fun little acronym, C-E-F-M. So if you see that flowing around, you'll know what it means. And other forms of violence against women and girls. So she's been subjected to FGM, child marriage, and she's like, let's just wrap other violence against women and girls in that. Anything I miss, let's just fucking take care of it. So Safe Hands for Girls engages in education, training, and community outreach to raise awareness of the harms of FGM and dispel the myths that keep it going, which we already discussed are all bullshit. Also, by educating young people, they can decrease the number of victims because these people, these young people they're teaching won't subject their own children to FGM. And I, because this is so culturally integrated in so many societies, that's really where you're going to stop it, I feel. You have to educate the next generation. Right. And, like, don't discount older generations. Like, tackle that, too. But this is where we're going to start to see the drop-off when those younger people start coming of age, having their own children, and they have the education knowledge to know to not do this it. is wrong. Yeah. As part of Jaha's anti-FGM activism, she teamed up with The Guardian and Equality Now to petition the U.S. president, or then U.S. president, Barack Obama, to investigate the impact of FGM in the United States. She collected 220,000 signatures via Change.org. Oh. And here's the thing, like, I see petitions slow around on Change.org all the real time. Dumb. And I'm like, it's cool to see one of those. Actually do something. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. Change.org, what a great idea. But it's almost there's so many where it's like, who who do I listen to? Right. But so that was really cool. So Obama listened and the study was complete. Yay. I mean, boo for finding out that there's probably a bunch of it going on in America, but yay for it happening because it's something that needs to be uncovered so it can be stopped. Exactly. So now I'm not sure if this is the report, but there was a report done by the CDC that I found. And this report states that in 1996, Congress made FGM illegal in the United States. Okay. 1996. Yep. We were five years old. We totally could have been subjugated to this like i our families that's not part of their their culture or their upbringing but but yeah like it was totally legal to do this we're both raised in catholic households you know who's to say we couldn't have been raised in a slightly crazier catholic household exactly so according to this report approximately five hundred thirteen thousand people in the u.s with female genitalia are victims or are at risk of fgm so if you think this issue isn't relevant here you are fucking wrong it is it is and and this was one of those things i thought oh that's a cultural thing that happens over there it's not it happens everywhere again in cooperation with the guardian jaha returned to the gambia to advocate against fgm and much of her trip is documented in that documentary jaha's promise which was which was released in 2017 and i found it on youtube i cannot recommend it enough you will cry but it's worth it and there's one part where she's literally like she's talking to this guy and she's like like, what are your thoughts on FGM? And he's, you know, kind of touting like, well, it keeps women pure and virgins and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, I was subjected to FGM. It did not help me. It does not help anyone. She's like, I know better than fucking you, dude, that this doesn't do shit. Right. And like just her willingness to kind of go into the thick of it because I think her village where she grew up had like 100% FGM rate. Oh, Everyone gets it done. It's so normal. And for her to go back and confront people who have been so indoctrinated to this is insane. Like, I hate confrontation, but then confrontation on this level blows my mind. In 2015, then president of the Gambia, Yahya Jameh, 
officially outlawed FGM, but don't cheer for him, though. He is he was an autocrat who hated journalists, LGBTQ people and was accused of a litany of human rights violations. This is not about him, but he sucks. He did this one cool thing, banning FGM. And while banning FGM was a great step forward, the 1,000-year-old practice is so deeply entrenched in the culture that it's been very difficult to quash. How do you get people to stop doing what they've been doing for fucking ever? Also, when Jamea was ousted in the 2016 election and the Gambian people began enjoying, like, more freedom, kind of this, like, hey, democracy, we got this guy who's been a dick-ass president, quote-unquote president, forever. We have more freedom, and this freedom kind of gave them more courage to return to older traditions, which unfortunately included FGM. They're like, no, he can't tell us what to do anymore, so we're going to do what we do. In 2015, Jaha earned her American citizenship and continued her education, receiving her master's degree in nonprofit management from the University of Central Florida in 2018. Hmm. Also in 2018, Jaha was appointed as regional UN Women Ambassador for Africa. She's using this position to continue advocating against FGM and child marriages, all while training and mobilizing youth who can then also go out into their communities and spread the good word. She said, quote, these issues are personal to me. They're part of my life history. We won't have equality until girls can grow up with control over their own bodies and futures. I am proud to join UN women in their fight for the rights of women and girls all over Africa. I want to see the day when no parent makes a decision that will change and limit their daughter's lives. The girls of Africa and worldwide need to know that their future is bigger than they imagine. I'm not crying you're crying i want to give jawa a hug i know you can she's still alive jawa come on our podcast jaha we love you or jaha did sorry. you say jawa, I said jawa. <laughs> oh no I'm your sorry. star wars is sneaking I'm, through yeah, apparently my nerd is showing in recognition of Jaha's advocacy, she was named one of Time's 100 most influential people in the Yay. world. In the world. Well, and what I like about it is 100 most influential people. Mm-hmm. Not women. People. Yeah, just... Thank if, you, Time. If you're a person, you're on this list. Well, only if you're the best 100. Exactly. Uh, so that was their list for 2016, and she was listed as one of the mo- 100 most influential Africans in 2017. In 2018, she was also named one of the top 100 gender global policy influencers. Yeah, none of these are like top women. Like she's kind of competing with everyone, which I like. Jaha was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2018, and she did win the Eleanor Roosevelt Val Kill Medal. Also, I swear I didn't do this on purpose. And actually, we were going to record this like the day of or the day before this, but February 6th. So it's February 12th right now. Sorry, it's a little late. Has been designated International Zero Tolerance Day for Female Genital Mutilation by the United Nations. Good. Living Legacy. So normally this is where I list a bunch of awards and honors and buildings or streets that were named after the woman I've covered. But Jaha is a living fucking legend who is still working tirelessly to fight against female genital mutilation and protect children everywhere so instead i'm giving y'all some calls to action you can follow jaha on twitter at jaha and fgm that's j-a-h-a all caps and fgm uh, you can also follow safe hands for girls at safe hands number four girls Visit safehandsforgirls.com to learn more about Jaha's mission and to donate to support the cause. And they have set a goal of $3 million and have raised just over 100000 And I have already donated. Aw. So. You're cute. I try. Well, I was like, oh, my God. Instead of, like, bemoaning this woman who I can't help because they died 100 years ago, I can right. actually do something. This is amazing. So that is the story Actually, part of the the ongoing tale, the ongoing legacy, the ongoing legacy. I want a fucking um, trilogy, quadrilogy, quintuplegy. She's making words up now. I am septuplegy of Jaha Dukare. 
Seriously, look this woman up. She is amazing. I highly recommend the documentary. Maybe we'll finish it together when I can stop crying. You're funny. Well, if you have uh, stuck with us this long, thank you and good for you. I know that was a rough story, but hopefully I was able to end it on kind of a high note. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't kill note. her off in the middle of my fucking story like some people. <laughs> it was toward the end. Well, because it had to be because you <laughs> killed her. No, I'm kidding. I do not hold Kelly personally responsible for Lena's death. I just am mad that she told me. You could have just been like, and she's still alive. She's cryogenically frozen next to Walt Disney, and we will bring her back, and she will have her own cooking show, The End. Yes. So, Kelly. Yes. What are you thankful for? I mean, besides Rachel and my tattoo. (laughs) Rachel listens now, and so I'm really excited. Like, I hope she hears this. What's up, Rachel? She's she's really great. Like, she was so nice. Besides that. Trying to like even think like what I did this week. It's been kind of a blur, hasn't it? It has. It has been like in the negatives all week and with wind chill. It's basically been negative 23 all week. No, I'm just going to gush about Rachel and... Go for it. Do it. (laughs) No, it's just because like we rescheduled like four times, but she was always super understanding and she's super nice. And just like being able to... Like, she was just someone that I get along with really well. So it was nice. Like, you know, she told me stories about, you know, being a woman and tattooing and just different experiences she had. You know, we talked about future tattoos and just a whole bunch of stuff. And, like, the time flew by. And it was so much fun. And I can't wait to go back to get another one. We will be posting pictures of Kelly's new amazing tattoo yes. by Rachel and on our Instagram. And we will be Rachel's tagging Rachel's making a... Time she did a time lapse, so she'll eventually post that and we'll share it on oh Instagram. Oh my god, well. I want to see that. I was a yeah. little sad I couldn't be there with you. I love going with people to their tattoos. By had it not been COVID, exactly. Yeah, they like even for piercing, unless you're a minor, they don't. Which I hundred percent respect. I mean, they're at you know twenty five percent capacity. Yeah. So and so I think she said that's like twelve people. Oh my god, for their shop. But yeah, so. Rachel, if you're listening, we totally want to hear all of your, like, women in tattoo stories. Yes. Like, tell us. If you would be willing to come on the show, I'm putting it out there. Rachel, you are welcome. We love you. Please talk to us. Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, you need to come talk about Papa Nasty. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you don't get to just throw that out there like it's nothing. I do, because it's not what? my story. You bitch okay now we okay rachel i'm not asking anymore i'm telling you come on our show and tell us about papa nasty because what the actual fuck (laughs) oh my god it i'm imagining my my friend she used to work in a uh used bookstore which also doubled as a comic book shop and she had this customer who came in all the time and she nicknamed him magic fingers oh because when she she was like checking him out and she was like you know typing in the numbers or whatever on the keypad and he's like "Ooh, you have magic fingers and she's like stop (laughs) so i'm imagining he didn't get that nickname through like nice means um so i'm really thankful this week for my facebook friends so it is is the month of my birth i am turning 30 holy shit I can't, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm a little like anxious about turning 30, but I'm more like, I can't believe I made it this far. I should have died so many I know, times. That's, that's what I But, um, you know, Facebook lets you raise money for a nonprofit and I have never done it before because I was like, Facebook's Yeah, I'm probably, probably going to copy you, by the way. I, uh, I decided to support the national women's history museum which has yeah, not been still built. working on building they're trying to raise the money to build it and actually that's where i got uh, kelly's I know, I love that shirt unbought and unbossed shirt and 100 percent of the proceeds go to them and even with the facebook fundraising like facebook covers the processing and 100 awesome. percent of the proceeds go and i i donated some money I had a friend donate some money. Jared's mom donated some money. And I was like, I keep forgetting to donate money. I saw you liked it. And Tierney liked it, too. And she's the one who did the Ruth Ellis Center way back in June. And she raised like 400 fucking dollars. Good God. And I'm like, Tierney, 
Kelly, still waiting for your donations. Like, you're the people I expect to donate. So (laughs) you're like, come on. (laughs) That's okay, because wherever you donate, I'll match you next month (laughs) when it's your birthday. But I don't know. That's just been, it's been really great to see that kind of support and to be able to support a cause that is close to my heart. Because seriously, why don't we have a National Women's History Museum? It's 2021, guys. So yeah, I'm I'm thankful for that. Maybe they'll let us do the ribbon cutting. Oh my god, we're not that popular. There's so many people way ahead oh, yeah, of us. No, on they that would list. pick like Amanda Gorman or someone or like, Kamala Harris. Yeah. <laughs> Mamala. Oh my god, I taught that to Rachel today. That Kamala's kids call her Mamala. That her I ste- didn't her know stepkids that. call her Mamala. That is adorable. I know. I want her to be my Mamala. Like I love my ma'am. I love Gwen, but like she's kind of all of our mamalas. I know. I'm like you and your stepchildren are the best. That's so fucking cute. Her stepkids are creative as hell. Right. Like that's that's Mama. funny. I love that. Well, there you go. I'm teaching more people this yes, news than I happen to spread know. Spread it. Hashtag mamala. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. As always, please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps the podcast. It doesn't just give us warm fuzzies, which it soups does. It really helps us get found by other people who would be into this. And you know they're out there. They just haven't discovered the magic of our melodious voices. Also, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPod. Twitter, WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email address is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you from suggestions on women or just how your day's going, what you'd like to see us dress up in. Unless you're like one of those really misogynistic men that's going to be like, yeah, show us your boobs. Then we don't want to hear from you. Boobs. And the boobs are zeros instead of yeah. actual zero O's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, those are the worst kinds of people. We also have a Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whining about herstory. You can join us for as little as $1 a month. And you can gain access to bonus content, including video episodes and bonus episodes. We do herstory happenings where we talk about things Around herstory versus just the women who in are herstory. Yes. yes. Uh, we also have a Teespring where you can get some sweet, sweet merch if you just go to Teespring and search Whining About Herstory. You can also find that on our website. Yes. I have that linked. Because I, I was we like, have we have trees on all of our websites. We do. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.